Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Hey, everyone. It's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that if you needed another reason to care about your gut flora, we just figured out that the more gut flora you have, the better you respond to cancer treatments like chemotherapy and immunotherapy. We think that it's because the inflammatory response to those gut flora actually helps your body fight cancer. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is a repeat guest, and it's Grace Liu. Grace publishes a blog called Animal Farm under the name Dr. BG. She's got a bachelor in nutritional science and food science. And she was on the podcast earlier, but we had some audio quality because she was joining from China. So we've got a really good, clean video and audio signal today. And we're going to talk even more about the gut microbiome, about resistant starch, and what you can do. One of the interesting things about Grace is that she lost 50 pounds of fat by doing things that are related to the paleo diet, but including more resistant starch and more of the gut bacteria stuff. So Grace, welcome to the show, or welcome back, I should say. 
thank you very much for having me again. Let's yeah, I'm so glad our video and um, audio are all working now. I felt so bad when it was like so part to what your normal quality is. Well, I, you know, sometimes it happens. I, I've guests from around the world on the show and I do my very best to get it. But the important thing is that we get the information out there that's useful for people who are looking to to perform better and feel better. And hopefully maybe gain a little bit of a better understanding about just what's going on in their guts and their brains, et cetera, et cetera. So you're most known for your writing about resistant starch. So most of us know like what starch is. Can you just walk through what is resistant starch? What are the types of it? Where do you find it? And why should we really care? Yeah, it actually started about a year ago. Um, I had heard about it actually a couple years ago. And when I started doing my own research and seeing it online, um, then it really hit home because I have a bachelor's in um, food science, but we didn't, I didn't learn anything about it. It had just started to be um, discovered around the 90s, and that's when I got my degree. So there's four types of resistant starch. First one is RS1, and it's kind of found in the seed coat of um, little plant babies, essentially. Seeds and nuts and legumes and uh, whole grains and maize. And... Um, when, when it's embedded in there, when we chew on it, then they're, they're, they're resistant. They're carbs and polysaccharides, but they, 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 we can't break them down. And what happens is they end up in our uh, gut and our flora eat it. RS2, on the other hand, are starches that we can cook. Um, but when they're raw, they're, they're known as RS2, and we don't break them down at all. They have no calorie worth, and uh, they don't provide energy for us whatsoever. But they provide about one or two calories per gram when they go to our gut flora, and they transform these, and they make them into saturated fats for us, actually. And uh, one of them is Beet Rape, which we all love, and our ghee and our butter and bulletproof pop coffee, of course. And then the third kind is known as RS3. When we cook the starch and once it cools down, there's crystals that actually form. Some of these crystals actually can be used in lithium batteries um, because they conduct so well. I know there's a crystallinity, um, which the hard, I guess the hydrogen bonds, my biophysics is terrible, but you know, there's this uh, exchange of the energy can flow, apparently, from this crystal form. So when we heat food up, like let's say we roast a tuber or we have whole grains like rice um, or, or white rice uh, or barley um, or beans, when we heat them out, outside of the granule, then the, the carbs come out, the strands of amylose and amylopectin. Um, they're actually double helix, so they're really strong energetic structures. They come out and then um, when they go into solution, um, they're, they're digestible for us when they're warm. However, when it cools, upon cooling, the water molecules leave the helical um, double-stranded form, and they leave out to the center kind of the core, and then they tighten. And as they tighten, we can't, our amylase um, enzymes can no longer break them down. Um, our pancreas and our saliva, we have different amylase enzymes that break down um, carbs for us to provide us energy, because the end product is glucose, and we, we uh, consume, we use these as energy. However, we can't. They, they become resistant, and only our gut flora can break them down, in our small intestines and our colon. So that's RS3. And then RS4 is actually a chemical form. It's almost like a pharmaceutical, um, kind of like uh, uh, different um, uh, creams and other forms that are halogenated that are, stay around in our system forever. Some, some of the um, uh, carbohydrates, they can be chemically modified um, with different groups added on, um, like phosphates, and they last a little longer in our body. But I don't really recommend them because we don't really know um, what the downstream effects are and how they affect uh, receptors, um, yet they do... Uh, uh, are eaten up by gut flora and provide a lot of saturated fatty acids and energy. So if, if someone's new to this idea of starch, we all know starch, you know, starch is potatoes, starch is rice, starch is bread. 
uh, things like that. These are different though, because these are stuff that your body cannot actually digest, but things that the gut bacteria can digest, right? That's absolutely right. Okay. And there's four different kinds of these things. And you've been doing a bunch of research about what, what the body does with these. Can you tell me how the body just processes normal starch? So, so people who are listening could sort of get an idea of how would I handle normal starch? And then let's just play that through, say, with like resistance starch one and see what would happen when the body tried to digest it. Okay, let's take the simplest one. How about table sugar? All right. Looking at sugar, palm sugar. Um, palm sugar has a, it's a little lower GI. It's a little more fructose, actually. But table sugar is kind of one-on-one glucose and fructose, a disaccharide. And when we consume it, our body has disaccharidases and breaks it down. Then we get the individual molecules of fructose and glucose and we absorb it. It has a very high GI, almost a, a GI. Uh, so you got to explain what a GI is because oh, everyone listening doesn't have a degree yeah. in nutritional GI. science. Remember that. Uh, GI is not the most optimal test, but it's a good metric. What, um, what is GI? This is gastrointestinal, right? Glycemic index. I know it's glycemic index, but yeah. people listening have to understand your, your things or they won't they yeah. won't understand what we're talking about here. So GI is the amount that something you eat is going to influence your sugar. Glycemic index. Yes, exactly. And because it depends on the person consuming it, it's actually very individual. You, know, you can have a very super healthy person and the GI will be low for a certain food, let's say, because their blood, okay, so it measures um, how much your blood sugar rises over a certain period of time and certain foods will impact this differently. So foods that release the sugar faster um, will rise the sugar um, GI the highest. So the, the table sugar is usually the standard, about 100. And then actually white potatoes, russet potatoes can go even higher than that, than that based on the standard. White potatoes, russet potatoes, when they're consumed, the GI can be over 100, like 105, 108. So it can really impact the blood sugar. The higher the blood sugar goes up, the higher the GI can be. Um, so a lower glycemic food would be a food that would have more fiber in it or would have less impact on the blood sugar because it's combined with other things that you eat it. So, so like butter is a low glycemic food because it doesn't move the amount of blood sugar you have at all. And sugar would be 100 on the glycemic index, right? Exactly, right. Okay. So, so, so now mashed potatoes. Um, even really kind of the junky mashed potatoes, but we add butter or um, cream, let's say the fat content in the cream has a, a GI of zero. And actually because they buffer how fast the sugar goes into our bloodstream, they lower the GI of the food originally. So it changes from what it was originally. So let's say we take a resistant starch food. Uh, I kind of like lentils, you know, um, so it has a GI depending on what you read um, and what chart you read. It could be between 30 or 40. And lentils may have, you know, um, more RS1 because it's in the seed coat. And then it has for every 100 gram serving, maybe about four grams of um, four grams of resistant starch three when you cook it and cool it out um, to room temperature. And then there's other fibers in there. We call them non-starch polysaccharides, but NSP or just this is our conventional fiber. When you read a package label, that's the fiber that we see and it's uh, regular conventional fiber. Right now, it doesn't seem that um, the food companies are really putting in the RS content. For most foods, it's very little. You know, maybe for potato chips, it's like one or two grams, and lentils is much higher, but they're not really currently being reported in food patients. I mean, so, so resistant starch can be useful as a, a prebiotic to feed gut bacteria, but you just said potato chips, right, and, and lentils, which are like full of carbs, most of which are not resistant starch. So, so you're going to be getting a relatively high-carb diet, and lentils have a bunch of anti-nutrients in them, and, and some of those fibers are irritating to the gut. Like, why would you eat a food that had 4% resistant starch when you could just get pure resistant starch and add a tablespoon to your food? 
Oh, that's a really good question. Well, lent I mean, lentils, um, it's kind of debatable maybe uh, what the uh, anti-nutrients are. I mean, I think if we soak them, you know, a little bit and then cook them, you know. You, you can, to... yeah, you can certainly reduce lentils. Like between yeah. beans and lentils, more people tolerate lentils than beans. I, I have them on the suspect foods list because I find that most people who eliminate lentils and beans and grains at the same time really like the quality of their day. And when they add lentils back in, they can tolerate it, but they aren't quite as good as they were the other way. I see, and, and it does have FODMAPs. So yep. for people with IBS and um, a broken microvilli where our disaccharidases, where the enzymes are that break down FODMAPs, they are broken um, and somewhat compromised. So FODMAPs can, from foods like whole grains and start, regular starches, they can be a problem. Even RS2 is a problem for some of these people as well. So, so if you've never heard the term FODMAP, so yes, what would that be? Okay, so these are the foods that may cause a lot of gas and bloating for people because they don't break down. They actually are resistant, but not in the traditional sense, usually because normal GI tract should be able to break down these type of foods. And so what it stands for is fructose, so like table sugars, and some type food can be irritating if they have a lot of sugar in it high fructose corn syrup, of course. So fructose, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, which are two sugars combined, mono, um, oh, I can't remember the M right now, and then um, poly, poly um, uh, different sugar alcohols, like that come in uh, fake sugars, um, like maltol. If you want to buy a sugar-free chocolate, you know, these cause a lot of gas for people because they're not broken down through. From sorbitol and maltitol, right? Yes, yeah. And you know, other people can digest it, and so it's actually variable. Sometimes it's a good test to see um, if, you know, we, we have some dysbiosis and problems in our gut. So, so, so um, you know, I defend them a little bit because um, in terms of uh, colon cancer research, um, it almost comes up on top. It, it, it feeds our uh, flora in a good way because we don't have as much dysbiosis, let's say, because it has all four kinds of fiber, you know, oligosaccharides, the NSP traditional conventional fibers, and then the resistant starch three, over and over they, they you know, seem to show that the colon health is almost optimal and ideal for longevity. But it is a problem um, you know, if people have dysbiosis. And that's, that's the key for me you know, and why I developed the seven steps so that people can get over this hump really quickly if possible. You know? um, so what percentage of people don't have dysbiosis in the US today? You know, the rate of diabetes is like one in 10 if you combine kids and adults. Um, you know, we look at uh, different conditions, which are all on the rise for the last, only the last few years, they seem to just be going up on the rise. Uh, one out of 10 children uh, in the U.S. Um, may be diagnosed with celiac. In the U.K., it's even higher, one to 2%, so two. And autism has gone up hugely. It's almost one in uh, 50 um, in, some, in some geographical areas. And each one of these is characterized by digestive issues. And then we have our, you know, IBD, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and um, inflammatory bowel syndrome. So I, I, I tend to find that, that it's such a common thing where whether, whether you have dysbiosis, which means you have bad gut flora or good gut flora is not even a real question because you have hundreds and thousands of different types of bacteria in your gut. And whether you're officially over the line or not, I would say very few people have optimal gut flora because we've changed the biome of the planet. So the soil, which is the source of our gut flora, has broken stuff in it, and we get that in our guts. And it comes from our food and what we breathe and eat and touch. Right? So the, there is definitely debate about lentils 
and they're the most tolerated one. But I found so many people who believe they tolerate lentils, quit them for a week, and then add them back in and go, oh, God, that's that feeling I used to have. So they're like they're like a food that's that you should pay attention to as maybe it's good, but maybe it has problems. But but the question about, okay, why would I eat a food that had a tiny amount of resistant starch in it if I didn't want the other, for instance, the other carbs in the food? If you had to choose between eating sushi, which is also a good source of resistant rice or sorry, resistant starch um, versus eating lentils. Well, you might choose the rice or you might just take a spoonful of resistant starch, which is something that I, I've experimented with for about nine months using resistant starch on a regular basis. Uh, so, so I guess we can move on from just the lentil question, but what happens when you eat resistant starch? So I want to make one thing clear. The RS2 is actually not equivalent um, to RS3. And early, you know, early on in my journey, I, I was thinking that they were very similar because there are a few studies that differentiated them. But now there are a few more. When I had my gut improvements, it was always with RS3. So I had, I had steamed tubers and white mountain yams, and that helped recover my gut really immensely along with some um, soil probiotics like the soil that you're talking about. Okay, um, so, so people who are driving in their car right now in traffic and listening to this, I'm, I'm really stuck here because I'm not sure that I know what RS3 versus RS2 is. What happens when I eat any resistant starch? Okay, so, so let's go back to the mouth then. So when we, when we eat um, any kind, whether it's raw RS2, so RS2 is, more, is all raw and not cooked. It actually behaves the same way in the mouth as cooked RS3, but cooked RS3, as you mentioned, has carbs. Why would we choose it, but it has carbs in it. So for people who are really carb sensitive, like someone who is um, diabetic and has to be careful about counting carbs, they would get the carbs with it, and that may affect their blood sugar, like we were talking about the glycemic index. So when they're in the mouth, um, either one of them, our salivary amylases and the other enzymes, we try to break it down, but nothing happens. And then it goes to our stomach and then to the small intestines. Um, so two things can happen. If someone has dysbiosis in the small intestines, these can start fermenting. Um, even RS2, um, and this is you know, seen in people, these are people who may have reactions with RS2 because it acts like a FODMAP. I've seen and observed complaints of headaches or you know, body aches and dysbiosis and bloating. I mean, anything that happens with metamucil or fiber can also happen with uh, raw RST, whether it's potato starch, like that's a common use online, um, or the maize. Um, I think you're using the high amylose maize ham. Mm -hmm. um, so these foods, if someone has different kinds, it depends on the dysbiosis going on. It could be a bacteroides um, overgrowth, and for some people it's Klebsiella. So Klebsiella is often implicated in different autoimmune conditions like alkalosis spondylitis, Hashimoto's. I, I used to have Hashimoto's, so I kind of pay attention to the different organisms, you know, that are implicated. So if someone has these growing in the, either their joints or their body or their, you know, different organs uh, where these organisms have translocated, when people eat a FODMAP or a triggering um, food, whether it's mycotoxins or, you know, that um, fungi or RS2, it, it could trigger these effects. It's not a lot of people, but, but that can occur. Now, RS3, if it's a cooked one, um, same thing can happen as well in the ileum. I mean, we can get this fermentation going on. But if, okay, let's say someone's healthy, then everything just moves along. And then in the colon, these ferment and just provide a lot of energy for us. They, the end products are butyrate, which is very similar to butter, and it feeds the colon cells. And we get vitamins produced, um, even CLA, which is an anti-fat um, steroid hormone, um, conjugated linoleic acid, which helps burn fat and improve our lean muscle mass. These are produced by you know, different bacteria that all are good gut flora, uh, both in the small intestines and in the colon. But um, 
when I looked a little more closely in this journey the last few months, RS2 and RS3, they actually feed different flora. Okay, so we eat a resistant starch. Um, our saliva doesn't know how to touch it. It goes into the stomach. The stomach doesn't touch it. It goes into the small intestine. What happens to resistant starch in the small intestine? So if, there's, if it's a healthy small intestine, nothing. Okay, and then it goes to the large intestine, and that's where the good stuff starts to happen. Yeah. Okay, it's right. Like it's a winery. There's some fermentation and, you know, some really good uh, different lactic acid and the butyrates that give that buttery taste. You know, so all these things happen in the colon. It's like the big fermentation in the composter. Okay, and in the rest of people, and I'm curious what percentage that is, but, but in the small intestine, this hits the small intestine, and what happens there? Okay, so RS2 can feed mainly three groups. You know, now a lot of U-biome and Genova testing and AMGUT, American gut, I'm sure you've heard of these. These are direct testing of the gut. If you have bacteroides growing in the small intestine, these can provide some problems. Like, so people with IBS or GERD and heartburn, um, sometimes there's Prevotella or Prevotella or other, you know, uh, flora that gets stuck. There's a reversal. A lot of gram negatives end up, they're supposed to be in our colon, and then they flip, and then they end up in front, the foregut, uh, which is higher up, which is the small intestines and even our stomach and esophageal area. So some people can trigger GERD and small, you know, small intestinal fermentation, and that's why these people may avoid starches and even RS2. Okay. So how would I know if I was avoiding RS2? Because remember, people listening to this have no idea where to find RS2 or RS3 or RS4. This is the first time they've ever heard of these. So I'm trying to apply this for you know someone who's listening to this going, okay, how do I apply this to me? So how would I know if I was eating RS2 again? So RS2 comes in raw um, starches and okay. IVs. This is the potato starch thing, right? This is the potato okay. starch, right. Got it. And, and a small amount of it in my bionic fiber. Okay. Yeah. So one benefit of it is, is in trying to restore and improve the gut, it can help to generate more fermentation if, if it can all get to the end. So it's very important that people take a solid starch with it, an insoluble starch. So either eating, you know, fruits and vegetables, um, even better if they can eat something that has even more fiber. I kind of prefer, you know, lentils and whole grains if people can, um, can eat. So you're actually eating whole grains again? Um, I, I haven't since I've been in China. Yeah, I've wow. been rice. Um, it, it's full of cadmium arsenic, so we don't do a lot of it. Yeah, I, uh, I wash my rice really carefully. I eat some rice, you, but other than that, I, I don't do other grains. Are you doing other grains as well? Because you know, whole grains for most people is whole wheat, quinoa, spelt, all that kind of stuff. Are, are you doing those as part of, of feeding the bacteria in your gut? Uh, not very often, no. But <laughs> okay. Moving the gut, you know, with eating the soil probiotics and getting, you know, enough balance. Um, I, I, I eat it occasionally. I don't have bloating or other problems that I used to have. So that was a really good score, you know, when I got my gut better about a year ago. Got it. Okay. And so let's talk about some of these other studies uh, that are out there around kidney health and resistant starch. Have you come across anything there? Um, there are a couple animal studies, but we also have to be careful with animal studies because sometimes they don't translate. But yeah, yeah the kidney studies, they, they look quite, uh, you know, like all, some of the RS2 studies, they look very, very impressive. Um, but there are a couple, for instance, um, Bodenham recently in 2014, he gave a very high dose RS2, the high amylose maize starch, and for 12 weeks to diabetic patients. And he saw some improvement in the insulin resistance 
their A1C was actually pretty good going into the study. It was like something like 6.4% or 6.5, 6.4%. That was pretty good. But there's no body fat loss. Um, there's actually a higher triglyceride level in the fasting. Sometimes the studies, unfortunately, don't translate. But yes, the animal studies do look really good. So when, when I did potato starch, I got the problems from potato lectins. Like I started getting a rash and some sore joint stuff. And I, I quit doing potato starch a, a week or two after. But I handled the resistant cornstarch reasonably well. Like I could do two tablespoons of that at night. I don't get gas. I don't get bloating. I take it with probiotics. But I don't feel and I can't measure any difference between doing that and eating some cooled and reheated rice. I see with probiotics. So I, I kind of feel like there's this huge party going on about resistant starch. And for some people, it really is transformative. But it seems like if you're taking the right probiotics and you take those with some form of resistant starch, one of those three, whatever kind of one tastes good to you, and you do that at least some of the time, like you're, you're kind of covering your bases. And this this is like another kind of prebiotic like inulin or fructooligosaccharide. You know, how important is resistant starch compared to all these other prebiotics and compared to just like eating some food that has some starch in it that some of which will be resistant? That is such a loaded question, Dave. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm I a little bit skeptical here. <laughs> I love your experimentation because I know in the beginning, um, our first, I know a lot of your reader, uh, listeners and readers couldn't unfortunately hear it all, but we hacked your gut, remember? And I had the same problem as you. I had both, I had I had three things. I had a yeast overgrowth, a bacterial overgrowth, and a parasite. And like you, once I saved, saved my gut and fixed it all, then I could eat anything I wanted. And I didn't see much difference with potato starch at all. Like you. Yeah. I, any, I, I, well, you had uh, the, the rashes and uh, uh, different problems. From potato starch, so once, right. Yeah. Then once you healed everything, you were able to take a, a little bit, I recall. But then you do better with the uh, corn. But you don't yeah. see huge improvements. Um, and when I no. took potato starch, I didn't see huge improvements either. Um, I didn't, I mean, I was already kind of semi as ripped as I'm going to get, okay, you know, and I didn't see huge athletic performance changes. But what I, what I go down more with now, because we have access to different testing and like your testing um, with BioHealth or um, Doctors Data and now Genova has all these wonderful tests, we can drill down the commensal bacteria now. What I have had on and off is the high amount of Prevotella. It's, it's common in some autism and spectrum based of Hashimoto's. Prevotella mm -hmm. bacteroides um, is actually supposed to be really good. And, you know, I always thought it was a great sign because Burkina Faso, kids that live in rural um, Africa, they have high amounts of it because they eat whole grain millet and a lot of whole grain foods and a lot of soil probiotics. And I always thought it was a great sign. But recently, you know, I had a lot of immense stress. I think I lost some bifidobacteria, which is kind of like the ultimate gut guard, in my opinion. And uh, I bring it up because RS3, the cooked rice, like you're eating, actually feeds bifido the good ones, the bifidolongum, which is one of our ancestral strains. Um, that's, um, uh, you know, there's so much research on bifidolongum, and I can go into it a little more detail later. But um, on the Genova testing, they're starting to look at that because it's so important as part of our gut flora. It has to be there or there's so many problems that can erupt. But with the stress, I think I lost all my bifidolongum. And I was kind of supplementing, but, you know, we moved, and then I wasn't uh, supplementing as well. And I don't really talk about bifidolongum that much because I just presume everyone takes it. It's such a baseline, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, I took enough soil probiotics and it boosts bifido. But when I had the stress, I had, you know, the immense stress and it brought it all down. I actually developed heartburn when I re when I tried potato starch. Yeah, wow. I just didn't take it because before I had immunosuppression with it. So I just stopped. I just gave it up until I fixed my gut totally. But then, um, and I took it on and off and didn't notice anything. So I just kind of stopped it. But 
I discovered that Prevotel was my problem. And this can be for a lot of people, and they may not realize actually what's going on. Potato starch feeds a group of fiber. Uh, it's a fiber for a group of characters in our gut, but it's really different. RS3 is more like inulin. It's more like other plant fibers. And our body has probably harbored gut flora that have evolved, co-evolved to eat starches because we've only been cooking for almost 1.8 million years. And potatoes always kind of creep me out in a way to eat a raw one, you know? Yeah, eating raw potato doesn't seem very natural for some reason. Have you noticed that no livestock get potatoes? Raw yep. Well, they don't actually get raw kale either, come to think of it. Yeah, mm. no. I wonder why that is. Isn't it? Well, kale's not expensive, but potatoes are cheap. <laughs> no, if you try and feed kale to a horse, the horse won't eat it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's because of the oxalic acid. <laughs> yeah. Um, potatoes have a lot of trypsin inhibitors. So the best way we want to get sarcopenic would be to eat a raw potato over time. They, they always cause protein malnourishment, and in livestock, it will eventually cause, you know, pancreatic adenoma, hypertrophy, cancer. Interesting. So maybe raw potato starch isn't such a good thing either, or is potato starch safe because it doesn't have all the other stuff in it? Um, you know, because starch is um, isolated off, you know, I don't think it has a problem unless you have a huge problem with sulfides. Um, I okay. initially thought that was my problem, but, you know, I can drink bottled wine. So I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And then other people, I talked to them, and not enough people do testing, so I didn't know it was actually the bacteroides. So raw starches like tapioca or the raw rice, like horchata, um, maize, and potato starch, what they feed is a really distinct group in our gut. They're, they're almost, I consider, kind of like bottom feeders, you know. They feed animal bifidostrains, not, not really the human ones. We have very few human ones that eat raw starch. They feed bacteroides. And bacteroides, as you know, a lot of paleo people have huge amounts of it because they're omnivorous. They eat everything. They've been around for millennia. We've co-evolved with them for so long that they've co-evolved with us, and they eat everything. Prevotella eats everything. So that's the problem. You know, if, if someone has GERD, you, know, you kind of have to cut, down all, cut back on all starches to really heal. And this is why AIP, strict paleo, primal, all these um, kind of lower carb diets, I think are very healing for people with these conditions. Um, but when we talk about cooked starches, um, you know, when I looked at the studies actually for RS3, I was shocked. Cooked starches feed everything. RS3 alone, there are some forms of that. I'm not even going to talk about their names, but there are like um, cooked cool versions of corn and they've ground them up and then they make them into a supplement, but um, they're not really available for the general public right now. Um, so RS3 can feed all our ancestral human strains, all the good bifida, the bifidolongum that are really immunoprotective. Bifidolongum can even break down gliadin. So, so if you wanted to, to simplify all of this and you wanted to say, all right, I'm, I'm eating foods that I like that make me perform well, but I'd like to make sure I have an optimal number and type of gut bacteria, you could just take a scoop of, resist, of RS3, uh, type 3 resistant starch, you can mix it with water, drink it with probiotics, and you would achieve that goal. Um, I mean, hypothetically thinking, I mean, yeah, I'm all, I mean, I'm a pharma, former pharmacist, you know, retired. Right. I and functional medicine practitioner. I love potions and supplements. I mean, um, if I tried it out and I felt it was safe, I would, I would definitely, you know, test it out thoroughly and then see and look at the studies. And can you buy RS3 to do that with today? I haven't seen it commercially on the market yet. Okay, got it. So that that would be that would be useful, wouldn't it? Or at least I guess we'd want to test that a little bit more. But too that it, it you know it acts it, they're so tiny the granules they may not be carried all the way to the end of the colon. Okay. 
that's the problem um, initially too I had with um, potato starch. Some people would even complain of like cecum pain. I'm like, how do you know you have cecum pain? But you know, sometimes I think some people's correlations can be correct because animal studies they burn out the cecum. They they you know can have problems um, and they do hypertrophy. But it's not a bad thing to hypertrophy, but um, if it gets too big, yeah. So carrying out these fibers to the end is only possible if someone takes an insoluble fiber with it. So something like Metamucil, that's why in my bionic fiber, I include the Metamucil um, because it will carry fermentation all the way to the end. And plus it feeds all their bacteria that we need. All the bacteria kind of co-feed each other because it's such a community. It's like Facebook. So, so it's kind of, it's a community, but let's just say that, that your community has gang members, which at this point is more likely than not, right? So you dump a bunch of, of resistant starch and other things to quote, feed the community, but you're feeding everyone there. And the idea there is that somehow we're going to hopefully feed the good guys and the bad guys are not going to be there. But it seems like many people who try sugar or starch or resistant starch, they're feeding a fungus in the gut, they're feeding yeast, they're feeding whatever bacteria and even whatever parasites are present. Yeah. Right? So I find that when I keep my overall starch consumption reasonably low, I keep my sugar consumption even lower. Uh, and some days I really don't have any starch. And when I do have starch, I only have it in the evening. That like my energy levels, everything works really, really well. If I eat starch three times a day and take probiotics like I, I was doing when I experimented with more resistant starch, I would eventually start to gain weight and my energy would fluctuate. So it, it seems like there's a timing component. There's a probiotic. Like, it's complex. We barely know what's going on in there. I, do you think it's advisable for people to just sort of go out there, buy resistant starch, and start eating a lot of it without like doing a test of their gut or without taking probiotics or sh should they just be eating you know, buckets of sauerkraut? Like it seems like there's a lot of stuff we don't know about this, but we're all taking steps to do something about fermentation. Yeah. We so all want a better gut. I, I know everyone wants like a, you know, you, you know, everyone's striving for that because now it's actually possible. You know, we, we know all the studies, you know, start, it's starting to translate into human studies. We also hear all the stories, right? Some of the stories, I don't know which ones to believe sometimes because we don't hear all the factors. Like, what did they, you know, what else did they do? Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I hear your hesitation. And now that this journey has been, you know, I've had a full year to contemplate, you know, um, I really believe in the testing because we don't know what we're feeding. I thought I was great all along. Um, this time I didn't get immunosuppression with potato starch. But then weeks into it, bam, like I, out of nowhere, I got this heartburn and nothing else changed. You know, I was on an 80 20 diet. I'm kind of lowish. I eat, I eat like 200 grams of carbs a day, but it's like kind of higher fiber, you know, um, for me. Um, and I, I do like five, 10 mile runs occasionally. And so you're on, you're on a moderate carb and down a low yeah, carb diet. Yeah. Right? I can't go too low. And I can't even take like some of the uh, really wonderful kind of supplements like black cumin, which is so good for AMPK and telomeres, but it lowers my blood sugars too low. So I, I have to be careful. And even if I eat too much high fiber, like my version B of bionic fiber, it lowers my blood sugars too much. Um, all the inulin and uh, green banana flour gets my gut so good that I, you know, I can get low sugar too. So testing is really ideal because um, to know what we're feeding, we have to kind of understand if there's any vipers or gang members like we talked about. And we can see some of it. Unfortunately, the testing won't give us the yeast. We have to do more of a medical functional medicine test to do that with biohealth doctors data, Genova testing or Great Plains. Then we really can see, you know, what is going on in there. And we can also see different things with digestion. Just not getting enough acid will produce a lot more yeast and, and clostridia and bad bacteria up in the gut. I, I've been recommending for 
more than a decade that people take betaine HCL, especially as you age. I, I've been taking betaine HCL with every meal, I think, since 1996. And I used to have really terrible heartburn back then, and I don't, and I haven't in so long. Um, but I, I just about don't remember what it's like, except that one time when I took too much betaine HCL, which causes heartburn. <laughs> So not enough. It's a good way to know what you're dosing, though, because it can yeah. fluctuate. You know, when we have more stress, we might need a little more to boost digestion because bifido goes down. Bifido makes the lactobacillus. I mean, they're wonderful. They make the lactic acid that keeps the, the upper gut kind of more acidic. Although they, they don't do that in the stomach itself where the, the stomach acid is, right? No, but they, they work in conjunction because it's such a community. And um, other things can flourish that like H. pylori, you know, as soon as you know someone has H. pylori, you know they don't have acid because it, it's gone aggressive because it's trying to keep everything acidic for itself. So about two years ago, I did have some H. pylori and I got rid of it with uh, mastic gum and things like that. Oh, yeah. And I also, I think we talked when you were on the podcast last time, I had, what was it, a single-celled parasite that comes from like eating and probably in Asia, we were guessing is where I got it because uh, I've been traveling a lot the last couple of years. And I ended up taking a prescription antiparasitic for it, which which helped quite a bit and solved that problem. Uh, and, it's, solved it. and then I remember you got your six pack back. Yeah, exactly. And that it was, was a great it, story. It was really weird, too, because people are looking, they, you want to feel good. And all of a sudden there's something dragging you down. And then for years, there's been, oh, my God, maybe it's parasites. Right. And a good number of people do have parasites. And then a good number of people maybe don't have any problems with parasites. And there's a group of people who say maybe they're even good for you if they're the right kind of parasite. They're just another kind of probiotic. Uh, so I, I think we can generally say some species of parasites are definitely harmful. Others we think are harmful. And some others, I don't think we really know that much because we just thought they were harmful. We never studied it. But that one definitely was slowing me down and making me not have the weight loss results I expected. But man, if you're you're at home right now, you're going, okay, I have an extra 15 pounds. I could try cutting carbs. I, I could try the Bulletproof diet. I could go vegan. I could eat a lot of potato starch. Uh, I could take probiotics. Uh, I only have $300 to spend on lab testing, which is actually a large amount of money. You know, do I, I poop in a tray and send that off to get it looked at to know what's growing there? Or do I get my blood test and see what my inflammation is? Like, like it, it's getting to be a huge amount of testing. How do you think about prioritizing all of these different things you could try or things you could test? Uh, well, I, I look at someone if, and see what their health goals are. So number one, what is their health goal? How aggressive they want to get. Two, what conditions they're trying to improve. Is it brain gut? Is it just brain? Is it gut? Well, um, I think most people want to be full of energy and they want to look good naked, right? Oh, yeah, that's just like me. Great. So there, there you go. For that, you might want to look at neurotransmitters and the gut for sure. So there's two tests, you know, urine and stool testing. The stool okay. test is almost useless without the urine testing because you want okay. to know what's spilling over. So you, you test the urine for neurotransmitters? No, the neurotransmitters, I'm, uh, you know, I haven't done it recently, so I forgot, you know. The saliva, it, you like the saliva it, one? There's different ways, and there's different testing available. Neuroscience is um, one company that does it. Okay. So you like the neurosciences saliva panel for neurotransmitters, and you like a urine organic acid test, and you like Neuro a... For sure, right. Okay, and then you like the poop test to look at what bacteria yeah. and other fungi and potentially 
parasites are living in the gut. Potential parasites, yeah, and if possible, a three-day collection, because then you can really see if the parasite is really there. It's hard to catch, actually, yeah. So hard to catch would be a literal term. <laughs> it, it's not that fun if you've ever done collect your poop and your, <laughs> your poop for three days and you urine for 24 hours. I can proudly say that the last time I did a 24-hour urine collection, I was actually traveling in New York. And in my backpack, I had a little jug of pee. It was it was very exciting, <laughs> let me just tell you. <laughs> All around New York. Exactly. I'm like, yeah, one hand, pull full of coffee and then your jug. Like, don't drink out of the wrong bottle. No, it, it's kind of funny, but that's what happens when you're going to do a test like that. And um, because I live in Canada and I wanted to work with a U.S. company, I didn't want to be shipping pee over the border. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I've been really from China, too. They don't have a lot of the pee around. Yeah. Testing. I mean, and then you can also get into hormones. There's a really simple... Precision analysis is the one I like right now. They they do a really good urine test where you just be on a stick and you get so much information, all the cortisol and the turnover of um, cortisol. Sometimes you don't see the turnover of cortisol and you get these low uh, normal numbers, but actually it's turning over typically for some people. Cool. So for body fat reduction, I mean, um, the version B I found to be super helpful. I, I actually have to stop it sometimes because it gets my sugars down too low, but inulin, um, is one prebiotic because it feeds all our ancestral core strains. And then we can, you know, when you're doing these testing, it's really awesome because you can see on the urine organic acids changes. You know, the inulin um, is one of the few prebiotics that can give us changes kind of rapidly if someone doesn't have like a lot of intolerance for it. You know, sometimes intolerance is really high. But urine organics will see inflammation go down, the pathogen load, you know, that the secretion for um, the dysbiosis markers go down. Even some of the yeast markers can go down. So, so taking a prebiotic like inulin can help. And, and my whole takeaway from having spent uh, a good nine months really experimenting with different resistant starches and, and digging on it is that resistant starches are an important form of prebiotic uh, and that different people need different amounts of them depending on what's going on in their gut and what they want to be going on in their gut and all the other stuff they eat. But it, it it's kind of like you know, you're, you're balancing, you know, 45 things all at the same time. And I, I think there's a lot more science to be done there. And it's all very multifactorial. Um, so it, it's cool to come up with protocols like the stuff that you've been working on that says, you know, try this to get these results and try this to get these results. Are you familiar with the research about collagen and but, uh, butyric acid formation in the gut? No, I didn't know there was a relationship. It, it turns out that... I learned so much from you, Dave. I love it. Oh, likewise. Thank you, Grace. It, it, I, I put this in the Bulletproof Diet book. By the way, I have to wave this around because this just came. I just got it like yesterday. This is a picture of the Bulletproof Diet book. If you're listening, sorry you missed out. I'm holding it in front of my face right now. But uh, it turns out that right after resistant starch, within about, I think it was about 90% as efficient at forming butyric acid, is collagen. In the gut. Eat collagen. You eat collagen, and it's basically animal starch. Yeah, it's animal, right? it's animal prebiotic. Right. So when you do that, the bacteria in your gut can also form butyric acid from that. And then I found another set of studies that showed there was a marked difference between consuming butyric acid, i.e. eating butter, in the upper part of the gut versus forming it in the lower part of the gut. So my, my takeaway from this is that you got to eat something that the bacteria in your gut can eat. Because when I went through my I want to be like an Eskimo phase and gave myself food allergies by eating essentially one serving of broccoli a day and nothing else for or, sorry one serving of broccoli a day 
and no other vegetables and no other carbs and lots of meat and tons and tons of fat, I really didn't like that, that actually damaged my immune system. It was not a good idea. I couldn't make enough mucus to line my gut. My gut bacteria got off and, and that was just a bad experiment. Don't try that at home. So See, yeah. that said, I know some people seem to thrive on very, very low carbs. I'm just not one of them. But what, what you can learn from all this is that, that you can choose sort of different templates for what you're going to do. And Grace, what I like about your work is that you've done the paleo thing, you've lost 50 pounds, you're getting a lot of lab data, and you're one of the people who's, who's at the cutting edge of figuring out these are the, the universe of things or the galaxy of things you could do that are going to have this type of influence on the gut. But it's, the edges of that are very mushy. And a lot of biohacking is like that. Like we kind of know, even the bulletproof diet, like like this is yeah. a spectrum. Like this is the top. I, I can't tell you for sure that sockeye salmon is better than king salmon because there might be differences in EPA and DHA ratios when talks. Right. But like we know they're both better than tofu. Like we can all agree on that. Right. So I believe that the resistant starch guidelines that you're working on can get us in the right, at least the right quadrant right. of where we want to be. But that for person A and person B, the results could be pretty different and you have to honor those results. Yeah. So glad that we have the testing because it's because of recent testing and the you know, people that I've seen over the last um, couple months and my own experiences and talking to people. Sometimes you can't hear these experiences until you talk one-on-one, like on email and talk to people. You know, characterizing our gut, we're getting so much better at it. So I talk about inulin because inulin feeds something called acromancia. And you're going to hear a lot more about it in the next few years because it basically burns fat. Nice. Deplete it over time. So two main species elderly deplete over time. And this is probably what affects their telomeres, I believe. But bifidobacteria and acromancia completely depleted in, in elderly as they get older. The centenarians have lots of bifidolongum. Bifidolongum is our ancestral strain, which I talked about at my AHS talk um, this year. And inulin is what feeds it. And a couple other things, you know, but they... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Inulin only feeds it if it's there. So you have to supplement it or hope it's there if you're going to take well, inulin, you know, right? It's part of the paleo, you know, diet. Um, onions, leeks, garlic, um, if, if people can tolerate. So if, if these are FODMAPs, mm -hmm. though. So if the gut is not to the point where it's restored, you know, the tips of our villi have the enzymes to break down these foods. And so when they're not there, then they just ferment and things grow. Or there's not enough acid or not, not enough bile. Like I've... When I got the GERD incident, immediately I took betaine, I was fine. And then I also added a couple other things, you know, to bulk up digestion. Um, I started walking with every meal and added in ox bile. Ox bile is actually really critical. Yes. Vitella. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, the gallbladder gets all congested or, you know, you're not digesting protein. Then the whole pancreatic tree gets kind of congested. So we need to add, you know, some enzymes if necessary besides the pepsin and you know, it's to get the juices that get the chemotrypsin and the trypsin, you know, going. So when uh, the upper gut gets broken, acromancy can't grow in the lower gut. And we really need that because acromancy is really the key for longevity, I'm, I'm thinking. Bifidobacteria and the acromancy. So, so when am I going to be able to just buy like a can or a bottle or a capsule of all of these various strains? And, and I say this as a guy who takes handfuls of pills. I have no problem with this stuff. I take four or five different strains of probiotics, or not strains, four or five different different capsules. Like I started taking in 2007 the probiotic three from Advanced Orthomolecular yeah. Research, and then I, I quit it after like three years, and then you reminded me, oh, you should keep taking that. I'm like, all right, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, like the research is awesome on that. I 
just kind of fell off that wagon. Yeah, and, and the soil, the probiotic things since about 97, I've been on soil-based organisms. Yeah, you were so ahead of the curve, Dave. You have um, no idea how ahead of well, the curve. Weighing 300 pounds and having your brain turn off will make you really pay attention to these things. But, okay, so I, I've been doing those things, and I just added a Lime GI, which is from a major company, and it's, it's actually a really good probiotic with great research. I don't know if you've come across it. I'm, What's the name of it? Line GI. A line, like A L I G N. I'm forgetting the species right now, but that's a bifido, but I'm not sure. Is it just one strain in there? I think it might be one of the infantalis strains. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that there was actually good studies on inflammation, and I'm always trying to work on inflammation because I've I grew up with an inflamed body, so I tend to get inflammation more than the average person. Thus, I know a lot about inflammation. <laughs> so uh, I've noticed the difference from that one. And then I take uh, the other, the, the Primal Defense Ultra, as well as Prescript Assist. Like that's kind of my handful of probiotics. But yeah. I also sometimes take a liquid this, and, and sometimes I take a dairy-based that. And I'm an extreme example, and I read everything, and I still don't exactly know what to take. And I poop in things, and I test all this stuff. So what is someone who's listened to this podcast like, what's their takeaway? I'm going to do one thing, maybe two things. What would they be? One thing, just know what's in your gut. I mean, yeah, if there's so many great testing, find a good practitioner or, um, you know, and I think the Genova test illuminates a lot because it's actually the, the one test that goes down to the species level to give us bifidolongum and acromantia right now. So you want you want people to get the Genova poop test. Yeah, Got it. 200, yeah. And if you, yeah. Wait, so sorry, say the name of the test again? The 2200. The 2200. And how much does that normally cost? Um, if they have a non-HMO uh, insurance, it's only $99. But from Canada, I don't I don't know what the... Uh, yeah, it, yeah, but so normally... $99. $443 right now. Uh, oh, I... If, if it's paid cash, yeah, huh? without insurance, yeah. So, so $99 isn't a lot of money for a lab test, to be no, honest. That's it's, pretty cool. Yeah. And you cannot order that online. You have to go through a doctor now, right? Uh, I believe so, but there may be some outlets online. Yeah. Okay. So if I can find one, I'll put that either in the comments or in the show notes because it, it would be really, really nice for people to do that. And I always thought it was more. I always go through one of my various doctor friends, um, but I could see, like, doing that once a month for a year just to mm -hmm. see – like what all would happen. It, it's a lot of collecting of poop though, which is sort of not so much fun, but well, when you get a really great, uh, restored gut, I found that the poop actually doesn't smell. It's, it's, it really, yeah. it will be like a compost dream. Um, when you get to that point and then you'll know. Yeah. Cause I know when I like yeah. 80, 20 on my diet, um, well, on the weekends, you know, we'll have, you know, my sister's a wonderful baker. So we have good goodies occasionally. And then it's like, Oh, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's very immediately. And that's what we know about the gut microbiome now. You know, it can change within hours. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you with the Bulletproof diet, my poop doesn't smell very much at all. Okay. I, I don't get, I don't get BO and even like morning breath, like, like all of those went away after a while and they've just stayed gone. But if I go out and I eat, you know, a bunch of sugar and some, some sort of, you know, bad fat that I didn't know was in some restaurant food. Like I'm not going to like the next morning. I'm, you know, I'm going to smell bad. I'm going to have bad breath and you know, my poop is going to smell again, but yeah, you're right. A healthy, if you have like, you know, if you have to, to burn candles every day in the bathroom, like you probably don't need a $99 poop test to know that there's something bad going on in your gut. But then you can tailor it. So it's like, you know, uh, you know it's just like a good mechanic. You can do the diagnostics and then start. Yeah. 
that that's just the, you know we have these steps now and then uh, you know it can go a lot faster but for me it took years to figure out what was going on i even work with some of the experts in the field and it was still you know a little slow a little struggle and, and I, I believe you know Donna Gates as well, right? Oh, yes, I just met her. Yeah, thank you. Okay, cool. She's just a beautiful angel with a gut. Yeah, Donna Gates is like one of the original people who paid attention to this even long before I did. Uh, and I'm not by, by any means a, a gut researcher uh, the way she is, but uh, like like 25 years ago, she was working she was on this. Way and, ahead, right? Yeah, and that's just amazing. So I, I was amazed to get a chance to meet the woman who basically started uh, what was become was what's become the GAPS diet was was yeah. Donna Gates, and that's that's amazing. I mean, when I got the GERD, I mean, I was really shocked. I mean, I had Bristol fours, you know, um, I was eating fermented foods, and I still got ill. So you know, you don't know what you're feeding sometimes, especially based on your you know previous history. The second thing I would do if people can tolerate inulin. Inulin is my favorite prebiotic. I, I wouldn't even call potato starch a prebiotic because it actually doesn't feed our human strains, except for Bacteroides, one of the bottom feeders, which we need, you know, but um, it, it doesn't feed Acromantia, it doesn't feed Roseburia, which is very, very important for peanut allergies, gluten and dairy allergies. It doesn't feed Bifidolongum. It feeds animal Bifidol strains. So uh, in my opinion, inulin is far superior, and our paleo ancestors probably were eating more onions and garlic and these things raw and safely um, for millennia, and we still do. Every culture still embraces these, either, you know. Well, well there's, it, it, now this is an interesting question here. So I actually recommend that people, unless they're using it medicinally, that they don't eat garlic, because there's a whole body of research on what garlic does to alpha waves in your brain. You know, the, the stereotypical Italian housewife, agitated, hard to be calm, hard to be focused. You can replicate that. Eat six cloves of raw garlic when you don't eat any garlic and watch what it does to your brain. You can see it on brainwaves. You look at Jainism. You look at various like Hindu things. You look at some Chinese medical texts. There's a whole body of research about how it's ungrounding and stimulating in a way that isn't positive. So I love garlic. But I don't eat garlic on, on a regular basis. I, I do it occasionally. When I do, I develop body odor. But when I do, I also can feel the difference in my meditation for three days. Like, like my brain isn't as calm and focused as it should be. And I can see it on a on neurofeedback. So it's interesting that, that those onion has the same chemical as garlic, but much less of it. So I'll use like spring onions, which have so little that it doesn't really matter. Okay. And so it, it's interesting with those foods. Are there other ways to go about getting, basically feeding those probiotics without using medicinal herbs, which is what I would classify those as? I'm not opposed to garlic and onions, but you, I, they have effects that we aren't accounting for. Have you heard of sunchokes? They're yeah, always, I used to grow them, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're kind of like parsnips, but they're actually really, really rich in inulin and other oligosaccharides. Apparently, rutabagos have a lot of oligosaccharides also, and that's okay. why I kind of like beans and lentils. And I, I know they can be offensive for people with forecasts, <laughs> but um, they have oligosaccharides. I actually did research as an undergrad on the raffinose oligosaccharides. And oh, cool. just, yeah. So gram for gram, inulin, as well as uh, RS3, they, they feed our gut, and they produce way more butyrate, actually, than gram for gram for uh, RS2. I, I'm not sure why that is. I've seen this observed in just a few studies, not, not very many. Um, but in, inulin might be a little more ancestral. And other foods that are rich in it are um, <clears throat> chicory. Chicory, yeah. And the roots of the top part is actually Belgian endive. So oh, when wow. you disrupt the plant, yeah, they get stressed. So it's actually a stress response, uh, what inulin is and what the oligosaccharides do. They protect the plant and serve as a buffer against cold or mechanical stress and heat stress and different stressors. <clears throat> so they would actually enrich uh, chicory roots you know, by disrupting them a little bit. 
That's awesome. Yeah. It, it's funny what stress does to plants, and we sort of assume all the plants are the same. And it, it, even something like coffee, like if, if there's insect stress or uh, any kind of infestation of the plants, they'll make more caffeine in, in response. Oh, like it, it's a protective thing. So, well, let's, let's see here. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the show. I'm just looking at, uh, at how long we've been chatting. And last time I got a chance to ask you the, the top, uh, top three recommendations you have for people wanting to perform better based on just all the things you've learned. And the, uh, uh, I'd like to ask you the question again when we have good recording. So uh, what your top three recommendations for people? So it might have changed a little bit. I, I'm, I'm even more into the gut. You know, now we see um, such a great connection, and um, it, I just would love for just people to talk more about different things that are coming out in the news. Every day there's more and more um, novel ideas coming out. And we don't know everything. I mean, everything's always shifting. So I'm the first to tell people, you know, okay, I was wrong, you know, or, you know I'm, I'm learning new things as we go along. Be more bulletproof. I mean, I think you have such great ideas, Dave, and, like, you know, oh, you've so many people you. and the products are just so awesome. I, I love the glutathione that you have. It's one of the best on the market. Help my, my sister and our family for overall health and removing heavy metals, and so just really grateful for your products. Third, um, maybe just get more zen. I think I brought that up last time, and I still struggle with it. So yeah, I saw that garlic, i got to tell you. Yeah, too much garlic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so basically, so some form of calmness and uh, using stuff that makes you perform better or feel better yeah. and, uh, uh, and just paying attention to your gut. Yeah, it, it, it's great advice, Grace. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, I, I really think that you've, you've been doing a service in helping to just talk about this strange interaction between all these different forms of starch which we're really just paying attention to. We at least know different forms of fat now and different forms of protein. So different forms of starch obviously would matter. And then looking at all those complex interactions between combinations of those in your gut and what comes out. So I, I think this is probably less of an advanced nutritional space than protein metabolism or fat metabolism, but it's up and coming. So keep, keep doing the, the experiments you're doing and keep writing about it because it, it's adding real value for people. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on. You've probably heard me talking about whole body vibration on one podcast or another. But if you haven't, check out the Bulletproof whole body vibration platform called the Bulletproof Vibe on UpgradedSelf.com. Did you know that Cyber Monday didn't even exist before 2005? And now it's the ultimate online shopping day of the year, even bigger than Black Friday? It's true. In fact, last year's Cyber Monday was the biggest online shopping and savings day ever. And now this December 1st, I'm upgrading Cyber Monday to help you hack your holiday shopping list by kicking off a special online event with exclusive savings. The savings continue on December 2nd when, in celebration of the Bulletproof Diet book launch, we're kicking off a 12 days of Bulletproof. That means you'll get great 24-hour savings on a different product in the Bulletproof online store every single day from December 2nd through December 13th. And in the spirit of giving, you can even save 25% more on top of the daily discounts and cross up to 12 names off your gift list all at once by getting the entire bundle of products with just one click of your mouse. If you haven't already, just make sure you sign up for email updates at Bulletproof.com or like Bulletproof on Facebook to make sure you get all the details. Then just mark your calendar to watch your email inbox and the Facebook page starting December 2nd 
for your invitations to each of the 12 days of Bulletproof. Thanks for listening, and I'm excited to help you give the gift of Bulletproof this holiday season. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.